Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. Today, I'm here with Ben Mandrell. Hey, man. It's great to be with you and great to be with J.D. Greer today. Oh, <laughs> this is our second attempt, by yeah. the way. We haven't had yep. many of those over the years, but this was, yeah. Well, we had, a, as we were just talking about, 20 to 25 delightful minutes of small talk that I wish was recorded. I would like to hear it again. I'm sure it was profound in its small talk in this. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, JD is the, the lead pastor of Summit Church, uh, but you at the time, I think, were just rolling off being president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So, Part of your bio now is the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. The most coveted job in all of Southern Baptist world is immediate yes. past president. And you got, you got to have a victory lap too, thanks to COVID. That's right. Do you have any stationery that just says J.D. Greer, former immediate president <laughs> of the SBC? I have some that say J.D. Greer, president, and then I just wrote on former on the top. <laughs> <with> that count. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it doesn't carry the same weight, does it? <laughs> All right. Maybe it does. Uh, I, Hey, we, we did want to talk to you about uh, one of uh, your favorite subjects today. Uh, and it's not just because you recently wrote the book, Just Ask, which is about prayer, the joyful, uh, confident, bold, patient, relentless, shameless, dependent, grateful, powerful, expectant prayer. That is, uh, man, that's the longest subtitle I've seen in a while. Well, the publisher told me that it's, it's two word titles that that's what the, that's what the market likes. Okay. So ask. Well, I'm like, well, I'm making up for that in the subtitle. <laughs> okay. Well, I think well, we the subtitle is actually really interesting. It helps me understand the different facets of prayer. I want to, I want to dig into that. Yeah. Well, that's I, the... I want to know if it's name it and claim it. So when you have a title, like just ask, uh, and, you know, what I, I want people to understand what is this book about? Just give us a little bit, and then we're really going to just talk more about prayer uh, than the book itself. Well, it's but. not name it, claim it. I'll just go ahead and say that really clear right up front. <laughs> but, you know, as with most things in in um in the Christian life, there's two <laughs> opposite errors on either side, and you tend to gravitate to one or the other. And, yeah, there are people who believe that God, you know, is basically like a pinata and faith and prayer are the whacking stick. And if you whack God, you know, with just the right words, he'll, you know, pour out whatever candy you're asking for, which is just not true because I mean, so much of the Bible is, is people that are struggling to adapt their heart to the will of God. And I mean, even Paul is saying, indeed, I've been asking for this and God was saying, no, I've got a better plan. Um, but on the other side are those that either through unbelief or just through a lack of awareness um, are not laying hold of the instrumentality of, of prayer in obtaining the blessings of God. You know, the, the, we always talk about reading through the Bible and that's a great thing to do, but really, you know, you're praying through it because you are actualizing a lot of the promises that come into existence in your life through prayer. Now, one of the saddest verses to me, on, and, and and partially the inspiration for writing a book like this is Matthew 13, 58, where, where Jesus said, all these mighty works I wanted to do in Nazareth, but he didn't because of their unbelief, because of their, of their, of their failure to ask. So I wanted to just explore like, why, why is it that so many Christians struggle to pray? Why is it that seminarians and missionaries and pastors and mature Christians 
will feel like, you know, I'm doing well in all these other parts of my spiritual life, but prayer is like the one gigantic thing that they just feel like I just, I'm not doing well in that. Um, why is it that people don't do it? Why? And, and, and then how to, you know, I, I, all the, the books that um, God's enabled me to write that have been any good, I won't tell you which ones weren't good, but uh, all the ones that have been any good have started out as just things I'm writing for our church. Uh, it reminds me that Martin Luther, um, you know, the reformer used to always say that he used to, we used to tell young pastors, never aspire to teach the church at large, just, just teach your church. And if the church at large feels like you've got something to say to it, it'll come to you. And so, you know, this is something I essentially wrote over the space of about 10 years for our church. How do you pray? How do you develop a prayer time? So I hope to, you know, thread the needle of theological and practical and, and kind of the, the well, charismatic well, parts of the Bible, honoring those as well as the, let's call them the Calvinistic parts, which are the, you know, the reform. So JD, you just hit on something. Um, the, the podcast is five leadership questions. So here's your first one. Why is it hard for pastors to pray? I mean, we get paid to pray. I mean, pastors, it's, it's part of your job. I mean, people just assume, I think, that pastors are naturally the best prayers. Yeah. How do you, how do you respond to that question? Yeah, that's good. That's an excellent question. I, I probably have to be a little bit autobiographical here. Um, you know, part of it is in maybe even how you phrase the question, because we are professionals. You tend to, you tend to turn ministry into a profession like everything else. If you do A, B, and C, and you know, grind it up, then it's going to spit out, you know, whatever ministry output that you, you want. And, um, but then you come to realize that there is, and you and I both, all of us have had times where you were doing ministry work, but you just, you know, not because it's not successful. And I put that in air quotes, but you just know that it's, it lacks that eternal touch of God. Um, I've seen it in my parenting. Um, you know, when Jesus said, John 15, five, apart from me, you can't do anything. You think about that in context. He didn't mean that unbelievers don't do anything. I mean, unbelievers do a lot of things, a lot of so-called successful things. He means you can't do anything of eternal significance. And I think, you know, for prayer, and I make this point in the book for pastors um, and for regular people too, we always feel like it's a problem of self-discipline. I don't pray enough for the same reason I don't work out enough or same reason I don't eat enough kale salad, but ultimately our prayerlessness is a gospel problem. And that is that the gospel hasn't trained our heart to feel both our powerlessness on things that matter. And then also the promises, the possibility that Jesus has for those who, who call to it. Good. Can you eat kale, kale salad and pray at the same time, JD? <laughs> when I am eating kale salad, I am praying for the next course. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> That's, All right. good. That's good. Now. Okay. So, I find uh, this true in my own life that um, either speaking on something, I don't preach, y'all don't want me to preach, but either speaking on something or writing about something, it often affects that element of my life. I mean, for me, most people assume if I'm uh, speaking on it or writing about it, I'm really good at it. Half the time I'm not, I'm just learning in front of people. I think that's what a lot of leadership is. But how has um how has preaching and writing about prayer affected your your prayer life? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good way to phrase that question. Does that officially count as question number two? By the way, or are we still that is you know, officially question number two? in here, you know. That's right. Okay. Um, you know, I think that um, as I have struggled both with my own, um, let's just call it prayerlessness realizing that a lot of it is just really theological. I'm, 
Um, sometimes people in our church get a little uncomfortable when I say this, but I, I'm a little, I'm just kind of inherently skeptical. And I know that's not a great heart to bring to the Bible, but I'm kind of like, well, is that really true? Why does it work like that? Um, how does the sovereignty of God play into it? I mean, if God knows, you know, why, why am I asking? And if it's his will, isn't it going to happen anyway? And then sometimes some of it's just very practical. Like sometimes you pray and things happen. Sometimes you pray and they don't. Sometimes you forget to pray and the thing that you should have prayed for happens anyway. And you're like, is this really actually? So wrestling through some of these passages, how does God's sovereignty shape our prayers? And what does it mean to pray with the belief in a God who knows the end from the beginning? Does that mean that prayer is just about you? You know, prayer doesn't change things. It just changes you. Now, I'll go ahead and, you know, spoiler alert. No, it doesn't just change you. It also changes, you know, multiple places we see in Scripture where where God, at least on the surface, appears to be directly responding and doing something solely because the person prayed. Um, some of it is, you know, just me like being frustrated that I would sit down with every good intention of having a prayer time. And I'd sit down, I'd close my eyes and start praying for missionaries. And 20 minutes later, I'm thinking about what I watched on Netflix the night before, or, you know, just <laughs> full on asleep. Um, what, are, are there practical ways that people can stay centered in, 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 in and does the Bible even give some of those? And I, I think the answer is uh, yes on that. Uh, so I think for, you know, for me, as I've, as I, I've, as you said, you know, kind of learned out loud and struggled in print um, there, this has been a, something that I'm actually really happy to commend to people in our church, not the book per se, but just a lot of the things that we've learned together through it. So talk about, you, you mentioned um, the practicality of some of this. How do you practically, how do you practically pray then? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So there's actually um, the whole part two of the book is how to pray. And one of the anchor um, ideas in it, and this is not original with me. Um, in fact, it's original with Jesus, uh, but mediated through Luther and then Tim Keller. But um, is that the Lord's prayer is really your, that's your tether. Um, you know, people, we call it the Lord's prayer. Many have said it really ought to be called the model prayer because Jesus doesn't need to ask for, you know, forgiveness for his trespasses. So he's not praying that prayer. It's, it's something he's giving to us to pray. And, you know, we use the Lord's Prayer typically like something you quote, you say it in church, and, and that's all fine. But really, it's supposed to be your outline for how you pray. And um, the, the analogy that Tim Keller uses is it's you treat it like a jazz musician treats a melody line. Um, you know, a jazz musician is not playing the melody line, but the melody line is in there in the back of his head. Because if you don't have the melody line, then it's just chaos. But but he but he or she is creatively putting notes around that melody line. Well, you're using the phrases of the Lord's Prayer to use the musical word to riff off of them, and you're you're personalizing your confession of God as your Father. What it means for for for, for His holiness to uh, to be in your heart, how you're seen and how you're worshiping Him for 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 where you're looking for the kingdom to come in your life, where you need to submit to His will and ask for his way to be better, where you're asking for daily bread, all the things that you need to accomplish his will and, 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 and so on. And so just that alone, that's just one, there's, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different things in that section, but this, that one has helped me you know, keep a, a through line in, in times of prayer. That's usually how I start. Uh, another one is, um, you know, we encourage a, a method of Bible reading here at our church called the HEAR method, um, H-E-A-R, highlight, expand, or examine, apply, 
respond. Uh, by the way, that's not original with me either, but um, highlight just means you're, 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 you're noting the things in scripture that, that are, are standing out to you. I'm like, well, that's the place that you start your prayer time right there is go back and, and you're responding to those, you know, with God in prayer. Then there's other like, really like, you know, things that are not necessarily in the Bible, but um, praying out loud. You know, for me, that's been like actually helpful because when my, my I'm quiet is when I end up just mind wandering or I'm staring into my heart and that's not a good place to ever to look. Um, some of it is dividing up my days so that I'll get different subjects. I, you know, I pray for Ben and for Lifeway on a particular day of the week. Um, and, you know, so he, you know, sorry, Ben, you don't get prayed for every day, but I know that on this day, I'm going to be calling out, you know, um, Lifeway's leadership and, and those things. So a bunch of little stuff like that maybe is is a, just a scatter shot. That's really good. I think as a pastor, it's just always hard to impart and give passion to people for prayer. You know, it's almost like some people are wired for it and some aren't, but our responsibility, I think in pastoral ministry is to try to get the entire church engaged in prayer. How, How have you guys tried to do that there at summit? How have you tried to engage people, get them all working on their prayer lives? Yeah. Well, how about I start with a really spiritual answer and then a much more practical one. Yeah, the spiritual answer is when you realize that prayer is not a self-discipline problem or prayerlessness is not a self-discipline problem. Um, you realize that the gospel, when it's appropriately shaping somebody's soul, then prayer becomes as instinctive to you as breathing, which is why Paul says pray without ceasing. Um, the least disciplined person listening to this podcast, the least disciplined one is breathing. And, and you don't have to, nobody called you this morning and said, hey, just wanted to remind you to breathe today. You know, like be a good person and breathe. You just do it because your body craves air. When the gospel has shaped your soul properly, then you just, you begin to crave God enough that, that you'll find yourself instinctively praying. So the spiritual answer to that is you be in a community, in an environment where the gospel is is talked about and highlighted and you'll find these things begin to grow organically. Um, For me, practically as a pastor, as a leader, it has required us to rethink the centrality of prayer and what we're doing. Um, Acts 6 is a a very challenging passage to me. Most pastors know it. It's the famous story where the widows aren't getting enough food. And so the apostles say, look, we can't focus on this. We got to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, we pastors almost always go to that last part, the the ministry of the word, and we treat prayer like it's simply preparation for the ministry of the word. But the way it's written in Greek, it actually is like it's presented as if it's equal. So that prayer is not just preparation for the ministry, it is the ministry. Jesus said, my house is to be known as a house of prayer for all nations. If I were, you know, we were asking ourselves the question, if you were to characterize the summit church would it be a house of prayer or is it a house of preaching, house of great worship, house of amazing guest services, kids ministry? And we thought, you know, with we need to, to lay this in at the foundation. Um, so with COVID and lockdown, it actually provided us a really good opportunity. Like many churches, we're like, what do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? What do we need to think about differently? And so we, we, we relayed both our service structure, our meeting throughout the week, our, our space, and just said, we're going to have prayer be a foundation of this church. So for us on the weekend, that means that um, a, a portion of our service, a significant portion, is going to be devoted to the congregation praying. And we also make the invitation at the end to spend you know, the last moments as people are, are leaving you know, the places to pray that that's very prominent. It means that um, there are, I've asked our staff 
that they have at least one hour of corporate prayer a week, not just their quiet time stuff. But um, and so we got multiple prayer meetings that take place all over um, our church. Um, it means that um, that it's a uh, it, it's something that's just no longer added on, but it's something that this is what we want to characterize. I tell yeah. our, our our campus pastors that you know we need to start seeing that yes, the preaching is important, but also very important is that invitation we give at the end of every every single service to say. Some of you, this might be the most important thing this morning is you need to come and seek God for help with this burden and uh, to seek his help. And we've got 25 people down front that are ready to turn this into a, a prayer meeting. We do that every week at the end of the service. Yeah, I really love what you said there, J.D. It's challenging because most pastors, because the sermon is never done. Uh, I think the natural tendency is to spend 95% of your time getting that sermon ready. And then if you can squeeze in 5%, like to pray for it, that's bonus material. But it's interesting what you say there about the Greek text being uh, as heavy of an emphasis on preparing the heart as the right. And what if you kind of did it? Because I do pray in preparation to preach the word. But what if you also saw prayer as the point of preaching the word? Like, what if I knew that that really... I'm preaching in order to set up this prayer time where people seek God. It's similar to how we, you know, we, we, we've learned to talk about worship in the old days. Sometimes people talk about worship as if it's just warming the crowd up to get ready for the, for the sermon. But you know, if you really understand what preaching is, you actually ought to be setting people up for worship. I kind of feel the same way about prayer. Now it's like, I'm praying so that I can preach so that I can actually move people to more prayer. I love that. I love how intentional, how intentional that is. Um, you know, whether it's in the, the, the public service um, or it's in our private lives, you know, you, you, one of the quotes that you have in your book is God's no more a fan of being used as a means to an end than we are. Um, how can, and if I'm honest, I think about when do I pray with the most clarity and intensity? It is when I'm in trouble or someone I love is in trouble or there's something that, um, you know, somebody I love really wants. Um, and, and, and it, it could be, you know, um, our group me this morning, like we're celebrating because, uh, one of our guys got promoted to, uh, oversee police Academy here in, here in Nashville. And, you know, he'd been really wanting that something that we've prayed about for weeks now. And, and I can pray with clarity for that. Uh, another thing I've been clear, uh, and I know I asked you a question and we'll get to that. Um, it's confessional for me now. The, the here method that you talked about earlier made me think about, I've been doing the chronological uh, reading uh, this year, you know, on, on my phone. And I think it has really messed me up because uh, I don't know whether it's the electronic uh, or the, the, the screen nature or, or whatever, but I am a lot less, uh, clear in my prayer time. The only time I, I, I really feel like um, we often, you know, get clear is that time in trouble or in that time uh, when we're asking for something for someone else. So how do we keep from doing that? Uh, practically speaking? Well, Todd, I don't want to downplay that God actually uses the needs in order to draw you to him. And so I, you know, you know, I don't want to, across like I'm saying, oh, that's, you know, no, that's terrible. You know, we just need to pray because we're so spiritual. Um, the whole point of the book, Just Ask, is that um, if you think of a dominant metaphor scripture has for um, 
for prayer that Jesus used when he taught it's, it's children with parents. Children don't think a whole lot about their language. They don't think about their posture. When that kids need something, they come in and just ask. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's the, the metaphor that is guiding. Like I've got to get rid of all this posturing and the right words and all that stuff that I do with my heavenly father. I need to just say, you know, I, I have a need and I don't know where else to go. And so I need you to counsel me this need. I need you to provide this need. So I think it's the gateway, but to your point or to the, you know, kind of what's behind your question there in the model prayer that Jesus gave over half of it is relational is relational or worship oriented and only half of it is request oriented. And so if you're, if you're using that, you're going to find using Jesus's model as a, as your guide, you're going to find that you're going to spend a lot of time just thinking about the sovereignty of God, thinking about his glory, thinking about his purposes, thinking about his kingdom, asking for forgiveness of sins, reconciling your heart to him. And only then in that state of worship, are you going to come out and ask the way that you're supposed to ask? I do think a lot of us, and James even says this, that a lot of us, because we get so quick into the asking, um, we're not receiving it because our hearts have not been conditioned by worship to think the right ways to ask the right things. So, you know, what you referred to at the beginning, just to make it clear is that I think I use the words um, beautiful and useful for some people. God is beautiful, which means he's an end in himself for others. He's useful, which means that he's you know easy way to something else. And if what's beautiful to you is, you know, um, overseeing the police Academy or, getting a raise or having a great marriage or anything, just whatever you put in that category, then God's like, well, that's the best means to that. And there's nothing wrong with turning to God for that. But, but I also want to say, God, I pray because I want to know you more and I want to be more aware of how hallowed your name is and how you're, you're my father. Let's face it. You didn't become a pastor to be an accountant and you didn't attend seminary to learn about software. Still, managing money is crucial for any thriving organization, which means if you're doing anything wrong, then you're risking the financial health and vitality of your church. Thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay, an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, has successfully matched thousands of organizations with experienced, U.S.-based virtual bookkeepers, virtual assistants, and social media strategists. And they are offering all of our podcast listeners a free download of their resource, Five Ways a Church Bookkeeper Can Transform Your Day, which shares the five most positive changes that will come out of hiring a bookkeeper for your church. So just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. And if you do so, you will be one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. JD, was I, I was just thinking about when the subject of prayer. I think one of the things that's easy to do in ministry is just to respond to challenges, to just keep being responsive. And that, I think, is a big part of being faithful. But what about vision and how does prayer feed vision in your mind. Yeah. Um, so if you just look at the book of Acts, you would say that um, the greatest visionary things that happened in Acts were not the result of careful planning. They were the result of prayer meetings. 
Yeah. I mean, the greatest missionary journeys ever launched or launched out of Acts 13 too. When in a prayer meeting, the apostle Paul says, um, excuse me, the, the Holy Spirit says separate Paul and Barnabas for this mission work. It wasn't because of a missions conference or, uh, you know, a book that they read or even a sermon they heard. It was simply prayer. Um, I, I, I have found both scripturally and practically that when our team is united in prayer, that is when the Holy Spirit begins to, to plant ideas. And I pardon the cliche here, but ideas that are less good ideas and more God ideas. Because there's a, you know, Acts is not, Acts was not a story of the apostles' good ideas for world evangelization. Acts was the story of the Holy Spirit planting the church despite the sluggishness of the apostles. Um, one of the things I point out, you know, is that if you, in the upper room after Jesus ascended, you know, the disciples go and they hang out in the upper room for, it's about 10 days, if you do the math. Now, all it says they did in there was pray. So they pray for 10 days. Peter stands up in Acts 2, preaches for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people get saved. Well, nowadays, we, you know, we pray for 10 minutes. We prepare to preach for 10 days, and three people get saved. So we got to get our zeros back in the right place because it's much more effective. It creates vision, and it creates um, passion. It's Holy Spirit vision. I'm, I'm taking a, a chance here, but down the road from you is uh, Winston-Salem. Uh, our good friend is a, a new pastor there at Calvary Baptist. Yep. Um, That's right. And I grew up there in Winston-Salem, by the way. Okay. Well, you know, then the history of the Moravian church. And when you look back, when you, when you were talking about the book of Acts and every mission, you know, great missionary works occurring with prayer, it reminded me of Zinzendorf and the prevailing prayer. hundred year prayer meeting. hundred year prayer meeting. Yep. They prayed, what, you know, for like a whole week. And then it was so powerful that they just said, let's not stop. And so they had somebody praying around the clock for a hundred years. Talk to me about the connection that you see between that, the Moravian church and the rise and decline. Well, I mean, you even tie it beyond the Moravian movement, just tie it to the modern missions movement, the haystack, you know, prayer meeting. That was where, you know, uh, the, the modern missions movement, um, which, you know, coincided with what the Moravians were doing. Just if you go back, you're going to find consistently student volunteer movement. There was this heavy emphasis on prayer. Um, you know, I, one of the things I, I, I really try to explore in that book is how central it was to Jesus's ministry. If there were one guy who shouldn't have needed to pray for power, it would have been Jesus. He has it in himself. But before he chooses any of his disciples, Luke says he goes and spends all night in prayer. I mean, how many staff members have we chosen without, you know, without really even you know, thinking about prayer. So instead of just like, okay, Lord, help me to choose the right person. It's like, I want to commune with you. I think we Baptists, um, I think everybody on this call is a Baptist, but um, <laughs> we Baptists um, a lot of times are not, um, we think prayer is like presenting a laundry list to God of things we need. It is that, but it's also communing with him. And I don't mean visions. I mean, we could, it could be that, but I mean, it's, it's the Holy Spirit sharing more of his heart and shaping your mind to think like him. I love the idea of centrality of prayer. It, it actually, I, I had an atomic picture in my mind of terms of prayer that's at the core of everything we do in terms of the nucleus. Mm -hmm. But often for me, I think I can easily make it the membrane. Like it's the thing on the outside that kind of 
wraps it all in there together. Let's like right. put the veneer of prayer on it to make sure we've included the Lord. Mm. Uh, but it, it really is a different way of thinking about doing church, doing ministry, even doing your business in a way that prayer is in the very center of the equation. And it's really yeah. thoughtful, really thought provoking. Yeah. I mean, in churches, we pray to change the set, you know, the perfunctory prayer, there's prayers for blessing, but, and if it really is the ministry of Jesus said it's to be the house of prayer for all nations, it ought to characterize. These are people who pray. These are people that you can take your burdens to and they'll take them for you to God. And I'm really convicted right now because when I look back at my history in churches and churches where I was in leadership, there were times in which, um, you know, we all, we all have either, there are people listening to this right now that, um, they're scared of prayer in their church because they have a prayer ministry and the prayer ministry people are weird. Okay. Well, that happens repeatedly in a lot of churches. I'm just saying like, and, and you, you pointed out we're all Baptists. We're a little scared of that. If it was part of the prevailing culture, if prevailing prayer was part of your culture, that would not even be an issue. It would not be a set ministry um, that, that people have. Uh, I yeah, love, I go ahead. Well, I was say people probably, you know, they, they kind of think what we're talking about is the eternal Wednesday night prayer meeting where, you know, you read everybody's maladies out, you know, and then throw out a few, it's, there's a different, I'm not saying that real prayer is all, you know, rainbows and snuggles, but it's, it's at least it's, it's engaging. It's you're, you're, you are calling out on God and listening to him. And, and uh, yeah, I feel like we as Baptists and people, maybe you're in the reform tradition, um, we have the theology that leads us to prayer, but we need some leaders to help us experience it. I'm not writing this, nor have any desire to go into some of the more extreme, you know, yeah. unwise ways of doing things. But I think good theology leads you to deep prayer. JD, we're almost finished here. We're wrapping up your book. Just ask, tell people maybe like your one favorite, one of your favorite moments in this book that that's going to stick with you through your research. What's what's a quote or a moment you think that kind of catches it for you? You know, a lot of times what people will talk about um, in the book is the story, the stories about how my own father um, impacted the development of my prayer life. Um, my dad was never been in ministry, never, never been a professional, um, but he, he got saved the year I was born and was discipled by a very godly man who, who knew how to pray and taught him to pray. And, you know, my dad always just kind of grew up thinking like he was just a prayer rock star. I mean, that's what dad did. And he's like, he told me one time, he said, no, he said, you know, by the time I was five years old, I knew every single morning at 530 AM exactly where to find him in the living room, in the little chair, Bible open or on his knees and prayer, or he'd go to work. And I just thought it was how it always was. He says, no, he said, you know, he said for years I struggled and I couldn't, I couldn't build the discipline in. He said, so I finally just said, okay, I got to go to, to work so early, but I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier and I'm going to get 15 minutes of prayer in. He says, so instead of having it set for five o'clock, I set it for 4.45. And I was like, oh, nobody wants to wake up at 4.45. He said, he said, next morning, I woke up bright and early, eyes wide open, 4.30 a.m. 
15 minutes before my alarm went off. And I looked at the clock and he said, I said, Lord, I said 445. Like, why am I awake at 430? And uh, I just asked you to help me get up when my alarm went off. And he said, it was one of those moments that the Lord, you know, kind of doesn't speak to you audibly, but he lets you know what, it, what he wants you to know. And, and he said, the Lord just put in his heart like, yes, but I couldn't wait. I wanted to go ahead and get this started now. I said, well, how did that change everything? He said, because I realized that in prayer, I wasn't just presenting a bunch of requests to God, but God wanted to meet with me. As my father, he was pouring out. My heavenly father, he was, this was his time with me. So it wasn't just a duty, you know, going through the perfunctory prayers. It was communing with a God who loved me even more than I loved him. That's he said cool. that changed it where I never had, a, had, a, had the problem of getting up to meet with him anymore. Man, that's a great way to think about it. Just even that statement, God wants to meet with me. And that's, that's really great. Well, awesome story and excited about your book and excited about your ministry, J.D. Thanks for being on the, on the show with us. It's been a delight. Yeah. Hello. Thanks for having me. 